Yeah, you guys mentioned the the ranges, and when I was twenty, my I got a morning test done. It was like maybe like seven or eight a.m., and my levels were four fifty. And then when I was like a month later, I redid it, but I I don't know if I knew as much about the timing, so I did it at like eleven a.m. and it was three fifty. Um, so I'll assume my levels were really like four to four fifty. But I was twenty years old. You know, my dad at like 55, it was at like 650. So, you know, now again, I grew up skinny fat. I dieted a lot when I was young, which, you know, I definitely regret doing. Um, who knows about like the, you know, estrogens or whatever, actually. And you know what? No, my, they didn't me- measure estradiol, but they just measured like total estrogens, which were slightly elevated. And this was not like, I was not fat at the time. And I'm, I was like 175. 12, 13% body fat at the time, you know? So it wasn't like I was like, you know, really heavy, but yeah, it, it was, you know, so I don't know, I guess my genetics or my experience dieting, I have no idea, but uh, just kind of like an anecdote there. And there's, there's, I, I'm not an expert in this, but there's psychological effects too. You know, there, it has been documented after marriage, men's testosterone levels go down. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, and even I mean, further with kids too. Yeah. Right. And so there's something going on and, you know, there's some cohort selection issues there, you know, the, or the guys that end up getting married different than the lone wolves, you know, who just want to be out there on the prowl, you know, I would imagine yeah. it's the fact that their prowlers mean that they're going to have higher testosterone levels and they wouldn't be married anyway. Who knows? But, um, look, but, but you see this in salivary testosterone, there's an instantaneous decrease when someone like loses at a game, right? Right. And they do like video games, all sorts of things. So like, who knows? Like if you're in a situation, I'm, I'm just imagining Dave, just throwing this out. Like, so it's like, so it's a day. And not that you said this to yourself, but I'm going to over <laughs> today. I'm the loser who's so fucked up that he has to go in and get a testosterone measurement. Oh shit. You go in, you're like, yeah. And they draw the blood from you. Like everything about that whole experience is kind right. of negative, right? What's that going to do to your testosterone? It's not going to jack it up. Like, you know, it's not like you've walked in, like, and the women are just flocking to you. And like, I'm the most yeah. machismo man ever. To, you know, I'm the guy from the, um, what's the beer guy? The, um, beer commercial guy with the, oh, the most interesting man alive. Yeah, like, it's not like you'll feel like that guy when you go in and get your testosterone yeah, levels yeah. measured. You're the, you're the opposite of that. So anyway, I feel like I'm hogging here. To, uh, and I think Cornelia, she had something to say. Oh, I was just going to ask, Dave, what are your levels now? Do you know? So I got them measured. Actually, so I did it twice. So I actually have a link for like a let's get checked because it's just like an easy thing to do. So they, uh, I don't know, they sponsored me, whatever you want to call it. But basically I have like a affiliate link in my description. And so I got a few free tests. And so to test the validity of it, I sent two samples of the exact same day. And so to their credit, they, I got the same values and so that, you know, at least showed something. Um, but my levels were like upper 400s. So I've had higher levels in the past. Um, you know, I don't know if I've really ever felt too much different. You know, I mean, even with like lower testosterone, like I have a very high libido, um, like annoyingly high. <laughs> and so that's never been an issue. But um, obviously, you know, I, I don't seem to grow the best. But if my levels were 900 i mean i would imagine i would grow more but would i grow dramatically more i i I doubt it but um but yeah last time i checked they were in like the upper 400s yeah that's pretty low but if you feel good you feel good right i would definitely think you would look yeah i think if you talk trt and you were at 900 all the time there would be a pretty dramatic difference 
just from my own experience of not taking being off stuff for several years and then starting TRT. For myself, we're talking about about 10 pounds of actual muscle tissue difference. That was after you had taken yeah, stuff so and after, then come off? Yeah, years later. Okay. I mean, I mean, a TRT of like 150 a week. I'm not right. talking about bodybuilders TRT. Yeah, I don't know how it would affect me like mood wise. Um, I've never really been prone to like depression or anything like that, thankfully. So, but it's hard to know, like, would I feel, you know, even better? I don't know. Well, that's the argument I make to all the people who I tell to get the test levels. You don't know how you could feel if you've been like this for years. How you feel now is your normal. Yeah. That's very true. You know, I, ha I had, this is an, a, an off, um, little off topic, but, and I've talked about this on one of my podcasts, I was vitamin D deficient last year. And I figured that out when I did blood work, mm -hmm. like the week before show. And I just so happened, I got the blood work in my email and I literally just took, I had like some thousand I used, or so, I don't remember what it was, just some vitamin D in one of my vitamin cases that I brought with me. Like I bring the same box of all my pre-contests and show shit. And I just, keep it stocked, you know, and I had vitamin D in there. I took it and within like 45 minutes or an hour, it was as if a veil had lifted. And I'm like, really? Oh my God, this is how I'm supposed to feel. Like I, I felt like it's like I had awoken from a dream. And you're in the sun a lot, aren't you down in Florida? Yeah, I, a lot, a ton. So there's, I, I, I had a whole podcast where I speculated as why this was. So there could be a bunch of different things. It could be melanotan, there's a ton of different things, but Either way, I was, and I, and I wasn't. I had some vitamin D in my multi, but it wasn't very much. Yeah. So anyway, do you take that, melanotan like a lot, like year I round? do. It, I do it for shows instead of tanning. Absolutely. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. yeah Have you noticed an increase in like moles or anything like that from it, like long term? You, you, you get them, and then they, you know, you, you, once you've used it once, you kind of get those darkening. And I haven't noticed anything. Actually, I got checked by a dermatologist last year. I was good to go. Okay. But um, yeah, you do get, that will happen. Yeah. You get some darkening and the spots that are dark or the freckles, they'll get darker, mm. but then they just kind of stay that way. So even when you're done. Yeah. They regresses a little bit. It's sort of like the same, like, you know, comes and goes mm. like with gear, like you gain some muscle and you lose the muscle, like the same sort of thing. But yeah, yeah. it's not like I've, I haven't, you know, come sort of this cancerous growth of dark moles, you know, where I'm right, you know, right. turning into some Marvel, you know, evil superhero, <laughs> you know, right, mole right. man or something. Um, but everyone's different in that, you know, some people, I think I, I have talked with people who have a tendency to get lots of freckles Yeah. and it was like, okay, this is too much. So their, their freckling ability became like accentuated to the point where like, this is just ridiculous. I don't want this. Yeah. I mean, I'm super pale, but you know, I have a significant family history of skin cancer, so I just kind of avoid it. But my, my yeah. vitamin D levels were 17. So for people who, right. you, know, you know, 30 to well, the reference range is 30 to hundred nanograms per milliliter. Um, I, you know, most people will say ideal is maybe like 40 to 60, but I've taken 5,000 IUs of vitamin D for like, I don't know, five years now. It keeps me right in like 45 ish level. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I don't know if it's making a huge difference in my mood. Um, but there's almost no downside to taking it and a proper vitamin D level is correlated with, you know, a lot of health, or I should say a low vitamin D level is correlated with a lot of health Good. issues. So it's something that it's cheap, but there's almost no reason not to take it. Yeah. Did you notice when you took it, this, this, this sort of like, I don't know if I really ever noticed it. You know? It was so dramatic for me. I'm like. 
I was thinking, because it was actually during the, during the peak week. It was like two days before a show or something mm. like that. And What were your levels? I wanted to say it was actually 17. It was like okay. 19 or so. It was in the teens. Yeah. It was very low. Um, and all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, I feel really good. And I'm trying to think, like, so but maybe <laughs> like I'm like, did I take some caffeine instead of like, you know, yeah. something else? Like, because I, I have like some herbal diuretics that I use, like, did I take the wrong pill in my box? Mm. And then I realized this is what this must be. That's the only thing I could explain. And then after that, I thought it was all just because of the, the, um, the rigors of the prep. Yeah. But anyway, we don't need to talk about vitamin D unless you guys want to. But I was just saying that I, I know that experience Cornelius was talking about is like you wouldn't necessarily know unless you would decide to do the HRT because you don't know what's what's missing if you've never experienced it. Right. Um, well, I'm definitely also, open. To that would the be idea. on the upslope too. Like from 450 to 950 is you know that's that's a doubling. Right. You know. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm only 29. I'm definitely open to the idea. I mean, I, I do. I do think there is in some communities too much of a push towards it. Um, you know, I, I know a, he's a well-known doctor in this space who treats a lot of bodybuilders. And uh, he said the other day that he doesn't think anybody should be on less than 200 milligrams of testosterone per week. And I, I just thought like, how, how can you say that? I don't know. I, I know a lot of people who are on TRT 100 to 150. I'm not saying 200 is a problem, but that like nobody should be on less than that, I thought was a ridiculous statement. But at that aside, um, I think a lot of people don't need TRT. If you guys know John Berardi, he had a good post about how he, uh, I think he's in his 40s now and his testosterone is like mid-range. And, and to his point, you know, he looks amazing. He says, I feel good. And he said, if anything, he feels like that's kind of an adaptation to like, okay, I'm, I'm now at that point in my life where I'm more about like, mentorship and caring and I have these three kids and I'm, I don't want to be that like dominant alpha person you know I mean I would be curious to see if it was better for like relationships and like fathership and things like that I mean is that the reason that testosterone goes down when people have kids or is it just that they're so sleep deprived or something like that and that's why it goes down who knows but you know a lot of people do say like they have they have that more aggressive mentality they're more sexual etc with it maybe it's better that it goes down for some people but either way i mean i'd certainly be open to it in the future if it if it was at a level where it's like look this is just i'm not functioning as well as i could otherwise well cornelius you may have seen this when when people are low and then and you can make strength gains they may even feel normal yep. and then when you add back a trt all of a sudden the muscle would start coming on the way that just it's like i don't understand what's working here it's like oh there's no gas in the tank it's like oh that's why the car needs it's like sort of a, it's like it, everything seems to be in order from the outside right. but the blood work tells you that there's this mystery components missing and all mm -hmm. of a sudden it's like magic it's so, night and day it really is for most people night and day yeah yeah I'm actually part, I'm part owner of a HRT clinic now. That's how much I believe. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> no biases here. <laughs> here come the messages. <laughs> yeah, right, up, right. <laughs> so oh, maybe that's like the last topic we can just mention real quick. Um, obviously, there's going to be a significant bias here. But what do you guys think about the idea that, you know, maybe a lowering of testosterone is part of the natural aging process. And I mean, cause like, I know a lot of guys who, I mean, honestly, sometimes the natural bodybuilders look a lot better after their peak 
than the pros because a lot of these pros they you know they can't stand psychologically the idea of losing 40 pounds of muscle they just stop lifting i mean so there's that part of it but like if you guys know uh, jeff alberts his uh you know 3dmj godfather these guys 50 looks amazing i don't know what his uh testosterone levels are but probably like mid-range like maybe there's something to be said for the natural process of of you know not assuming like hypogonadal levels but just less than they were and maybe that does make you a little bit more caring and patient and things like that hmm. any <laughs> thoughts there i mean i got a million thoughts like there's so, yeah. I, I have i'm a i have a master's certificate graduate in gerontology so right you, right like i love this topic so yeah. oh, cornelius what were, what were you thinking i think i'll let you have it scott but i guess it also just depends i mean what what are you looking to get out of life right i mean I don't think it makes it, I don't think HRT makes a difference as far as being a caring father and husband. I mean, yeah. I like, cause I, I've been off and on it and either way I spend about six hours a day with my daughters. So I mean, yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that statement, but I do agree uh, probably from a natural point of view, if everything stays in a good range, it probably is better not to mess with your body for sure. There's a lot, so it's interesting, like what, what is the, the, one of the central questions of gerontology, at least the, the science of gerontology, not sort of geriatric so much, but is like, what is, how do we extract the normal aging process from things that are abnormal that shouldn't be happening, that are a function of modern society or something that, you know, wasn't sort of part of our, our, our evolution, so to speak, as a species. And one sort of glitch in examining that from that perspective is the fact that um, we didn't have a whole, life expectancy has been ex extremely extenuated, ex ex extended recently. So people, men living to the age of, you know, 75 or 85 or 90 was a, it's a, pr it was a pretty rare thing during the course of our evolution. So to think about whether or not there's some biological basis upon which, you know, that normal decline in testosterone sort of creates for us a, um, a different mindset that makes, makes our contribution to the tribe, let's say, a better one. Because now um, we're, we're more grandfatherly, you know, we're more wise, and the testosterone is, goes in sync with that. It's possible. Like, there's the whole grandmother hypothesis is a huge one. It's like, why, what would be the purpose of women? And this is, I don't mean this, this sound sexist at all. It's just the, the question from a biological perspective. From a survival perspective, this grandmother hypothesis suggests, and I think it's a great one, I fucking love the idea, is that the value in um, grandmothers, in i.e. women who are post-menopause, post, um, they've gone through menopause or post-menopausal, so they can no longer give birth, is that they, they are there to provide wisdom, care as grandmothers, they have vital roles in the family structure, in the tribal structure, in the human societal structure as grandmothers. So, and that's when they, like, they've lost, you know, the whole menstrual cycle altogether. There's no babies coming from a grandmother that's postmenopausal at all. <clears throat> so it's hard to say whether, like, that's normal and where it's, where it's contributing um, as far as testosterone decline goes. Uh, now, when you're comparing, like, geared lifters who are, have stopped lifting, you know, some of the pros who, of course, those are paparazzi picks, too. Like, let's, sure. you know. Like, like, you know, like Tom Prince is an example. It's like, oh, my God, he's a shadow of his former self. But 
but it's, he's on dialysis. You know, I think he may have gotten a transplant. I'm not sure exactly what, but he's been on dialysis for years. You for pick years. any dialysis patient, they're not going to be like huge and he can't eat a lot of protein. He's just like, he's not trying to do any of those things. So it's hard to say how represented what we see on social media is mm -hmm. of, cause I've seen those YouTube videos, they pop up. It's like the then and nows. I think it's Mustafa Muhammad. Maybe they show yeah. it's one of the bodybuilders show him and they show some others who are like all shrunken down. Um, I was just going to say, you know what, talking about Tom Prince, I just listened to an interview the other day with him and he said for a period of time, like I think it was last year, he started working out a bit again. Uh -huh. And he said he, he regained a lot of muscle quickly. Oh, cool. Then he went on, he went to, on vacation to Italy. And when he came back, he's like, eh, I can't be bothered anymore. Right. <laughs> so so I, I think, you know, sometimes you look at these people and you are thinking they're doing everything they can to still be muscular and they're just not. It's not the case. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, which, and I know we probably don't have time to go into it, but that is something I was just talking with. Um, do you guys know vigorous Steve is his username? He, uh, I just I saw him. he's good. He, he makes some good videos. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just spoke with him yesterday morning and he was talking about, he's down like 40 pounds. He had a little bit of a health scare and, um, you know, it's interesting because I feel like just my psychology, if I was going to be losing muscle, whether it was, you know, I was on gear and then I came off or whatever, I would, have to do everything I could to try to maintain it. But I would also say that's, that is actually, I think, psychologically harder because what happens is if you, let's say you would lose 20 pounds of muscle, if you tried your hardest to maintain what you could, but you would lose 30 pounds of muscle. If you just said, screw it, I'm, I'm just not going to the gym. Yeah. 30 pounds is obviously more, but you're just not even like aware of it as much. You're not realizing, wow, I'm weaker every single time I go into the gym. Maybe you pick up a different hobby or something like that. And I'm not saying one is right or like, and one's wrong, but I can kind of understand where it's like, look, I'm just going to step away from it because this way it's not like, because that's hard for me. Like even just when I'm dieting, it's like, obviously I'm not recommending not working out while you're dieting, but I'm just saying like every single time you go in there, like, shoot, I lost another rep. I lost another, you know, five pounds, whatever. So, it'll, you know. I think that really depends why you train, though. Like I've told you my sure. example before, I've competed in yes. 2010 at 210 pounds and 2014 I was 176 pounds. It's just a different challenge. I just love to train. So right. for me, losing some muscle, that's, that's not why I train. But if that is surely the reason why you train is to get this muscle, then yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. You can imagine too, imagine a, a pro who sort of falls into it because they just have so many genetic gifts and they're training and then they have all this pressure and the eyes are upon them. And I was, the thing that was popping in my mind was imagining someone who had for whatever reason gotten into some of the financial world and they've gotten to this high stress, like maybe they're a, um, a stockbroker or something like that. And they're fighting tooth and nail always to kind of climb and compete and have money and have the, when they go out socially for their business, social meetings, they have to have the big car and the big house. And finally, they're like, I can't stand the pressure of all this. And they just give it all up and they go and they live in an apartment or, you know, small little something kind of steps away from the beach. Something. And they're like, I'm so glad that I'm not rich anymore. Yeah. You right. know? I'm so glad that I'm not gigantic anymore because I don't have any of those things, the baggage and the things that are extraneous that come with it. And that's exactly what, you know, Cornelius was saying is like, so someone who's training for those quote unquote wrong reasons, the ones that aren't self-fulfilling the ones that don't give them an inner sense of like, I'm, I enjoy what I'm doing, then yeah, it, definitely you'd step away. But I think, I think there's, there's a, there is a, obviously a different mentality between natural and enhanced athletes, just kind of on average. 
Um, so you're going to see guys who just like, they're just there for the training, you know, probably maybe more in the natural world. You just got to, um, I mean, there's some truth to the stereotype about bodybuilders being assholes. And, and, um, you know, you can, you can find many people who are just kind of like, I just want to become the biggest, most massive, like threatening, imposing person that I can possibly be. Right. You know, or at least, or at least there's something in there about that. And that tends to be someone who's going to use, use gear. You're not going to, a natural, I, I can't see that being the motivation behind a natural bodybuilder because they know they're not, if they get to 200 pounds, they're gigantic in the natural world. Yeah, you know, right. you got to be 300 pounds in the geared world. And that's what that mentality would be. So there's a divide there. And I hate the stereotype, but I think there's a divide there in mentality that probably explains at least some of what you're seeing in terms of longevity and like, you know, how are these guys still looking years later? So, yeah, I remember seeing on one of the more like advanced, you know, pushing gear boards and I was just kind of like, you know, skimming through it. And I just remember somebody saying like, it's like you don't have what it would take to like use gear. Like I use this because like I'm willing or I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to die for this. And like, this is so important to me. And I just remember thinking like, yeah, I don't have that. Like, <laughs> like I had like anxiety reading this board. I was just like, this is horrible. Like I, I just yeah. cannot live my life constantly, like to the level that they were talking about, you know? Right. And so what happens when like, like the person, something happens to them and they can't do that anymore. Right. What happens, their ego is, you know, just really dissected in a major way like that would be a horrible place to be in yeah because they're so attached to that that sense of identity so um yeah there's not so much like if you're a natural guy and you go from you know your 180 189 at your peak biggest and you drop back down to like 172 it's not a giant deal yeah you know but it's a huge it's a much bigger change transformation to go from full-blown back down to what maybe even you know, I don't want to lift or anything. And the other thing I was going to just say, just from a, since we've been talking about genetics is there's also um, constitutive expression of muscle mass. So where does someone, their starting point, they're completely sort of untrained mm -hmm. eating as they will sort of baseline. And you see, like, if you look at a lot of the pictures and these are kind of cool, look at the, the other way around is like, like look at Flex Wheeler. There's a picture of him. Like he's really, 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 really lean, but very, very thin before he started training. Oh, really? There's one of Dave he's Henry. Him. Yeah, he's really, he's, Dave was, I mean, Dave like won his first show as a teen without even training, but he's really, really thin and very, 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 very lean. Um, and there's some others of, of bodybuilders who are pretty small. So, but they just, part of their, part of their genetic advantage is that they grow really well. Yeah. Not that they start off as big people necessarily with not, lots of muscle, just generally speaking, but they just responded to the training, the food and everything else. Yeah. So they're just going to revert back to where they were. And then that contrast in of itself, you've seen, you've seen the pictures or the uh, sort of the visual tests where like, you know, which, which has shrunk the most and you, and they can create sort of optical illusions, yeah, right. circles and things. And it's like, you see a bodybuilder, like, you know, Marcus rule size guy, not that Marcus is still big, but yes. someone like that, when they go back to their normal, it's like, Oh my God, it's 150 pounds, maybe yeah. possibly that much, you know, someone could go from three, 330 to 180. That's 150 pounds. But they started at 180. They were right. 180 when they're 18, which yeah. still isn't too small. Yeah. So, I always think that that's so ridiculous and a little frustrating because, like, the average person who doesn't kind of like know this space will kind of fall for this argument. But I've seen I've seen Ben Pakalski say this. I've seen Stan Efferding say this, where they say, "Well, I clearly didn't have good genetics because look how small I was when I started." And it's like, dude, like 
Dorian Yates was small when he started. Ben yeah. uh, Pukowski, I don't know what he looked like, but um, Stan, and I, you know, I've talked to Stan. I, I like him, but I'm just saying as an example, like he shows these like skinny pictures of when he was like in high school. And it's like, dude, like almost nobody is just jacked in high school. Sometimes they are, but like you weren't even training at the time. Like that's not a good example. I mean, Ben Pukowski put on 80 pounds in his first year of lifting. It's like, I, I think you might have <laughs> decent really? genetics. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh, first wow. year he was squatting like five, 600 pounds within like a year. But he, yeah, I, he, he actually frustrates me quite a bit in his examples. But, yeah. but I, just, I see it a lot where it's like, you know, look how skinny I was when I started. I'm like, dude, if you got to 280 plus, you don't have bad genetics. Like, I don't care how much gear you use. If you are a muscular 280, you, you don't have bad muscular genetics, in my opinion. It's, it's all relative. And cont- I mean, I know, I know one thing about Ben that we can probably say, I don't think you doubt this, is that back then not so much now but back then when he started bodybuilding i am sure that he did everything to the maximal i'm sure he did from day you know? one yeah so you know rel- relative to flex wheeler his genetics weren't that great and he probably had people that he knew who were who were just slacking off in numerous ways exactly were growing well so i would i don't know if he said he has bad genetics maybe not not like bad genetics on the pro level yeah. scale I think maybe that would make sense to me but yeah. Yeah. Well, but I, I do, you know, admit that I, I say, look, like I was one of those people who from like 12 years on put everything I had into it. I mean, you know, this Scott, like how much like I gave up in life for it and everything. So if I had better genetics, I probably would assume it was my hard work because I don't know anybody in person who's, who's pushed as hard as I have. So I would just assume, well, you're not working as hard as I am. It's because I work harder that, and that might be a part of it, but like, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't think about the genetic aspect because I say, no, look how hard I've worked. I only really became so aware of the genetic aspect because I wasn't progressing like I saw other people doing, you know what I mean? I've got, I've got a question for you. So who is the person with whom you've trained who is the hardest trainer as far as like training in the gym? Like, let's say, like, let's say if you put Ben and you in the gym yeah. at your peak, do you think you would have out-trained him? I think I would have kept up with them. Okay. I mean, I, I just wonder, but, but not because so to answer, cause those are two separate questions. Um, I do truly believe that like, cause I remember being surprised like when you guys have both talked about like these people who don't train hard in the gym. And I was like, I don't, I didn't really focus on other people in the gym. So I was like, what do you mean? Like I was killing myself, you know I mean? Like to the point that I almost passed out on leg days and trainers would come up to me in the gym and ask if I was okay. I mean, almost the point of puking up as like a four or yeah, if I was 14 years old. So I do think I could have hung with anybody in terms of like training intensity, but to problem first... I have, no, I'm, I'm just going to, on your point, the problem I've seen a lot is I've never come across anyone who says I don't train hard. Not right. really. I mean, everybody sure. said, so everybody's perception of what training hard, it's just, it's their perception, right? So if you never have trained with somebody who trains harder than you, you're always going to be the hardest training person in your mind. And I mean, training until you nearly pass out and stuff. Sounds like you're putting in a ton of effort. So don't get me wrong. I'm just saying in general, yeah. it's something I've come across a lot. Yeah. Like I'll have clients online and then they, they'll say all this stuff and then they'll come and train with me and they're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize how much sure. more I could do. So well, you're in North Carolina, right? Um, yes. A six hour drive, man. We'll make it happen. Yeah, make it happen. <laughs> that would be Absolutely. awesome. Yeah, man, I would love that. Yeah. I may drive up too. <laughs> Scott, I was just telling, um, I was talking to Steve Hall about it. And because uh-huh. he was saying when he comes to 
you know, obviously nobody's like traveling now, but when he comes to the US, like we got to go to Florida and train with you. Cause I was thinking, like, I know some people in Florida, but I don't know where in Florida you are, but at some point it'd be awesome. Tampa. Okay. So, um, it'd be awesome to get a training session and definitely Courtney. I mean, maybe, you know, North Carolina is a midpoint. We could all do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have like, it's funny. I have a whole bunch of connections in North Carolina and South Carolina, like in the last year. Oh really? Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm only like, like a half a dozen at least. Oh, well, I've lived in both states. I mean, they're beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I've, I mean, obviously Dave changed pretty hard, but I was Dave and I were, we were matching one another's training part, Dave Henry. Yeah. Trained with John, obviously a few times. Trained with Dave Tate. That was a blast just because he's a crazy fuck, which, yeah. you know, I am too. So that. that was a good time. <laughs> but, but you never know. That's, that's so, that's so true. Um, at some point in times, you know, someone could be training too hard and doing too much and it's, yes. Like that's not a good standard to hold yourself against because then you're sure. just doing doing excessive stuff. But um, it is it's all it's all somewhat subjective. Yeah. But like even even John, I think when he trained with and, and you probably remember this, he trained with Tom Platts. Yeah. And Tom likes to do like just five five more reps, five more. That's kind of his thing. And I, a lot of trainers just give me three more. And it's amazing you can get someone that they get to twelve and like that they would have stopped. And you say just give me three more. Yeah. And your mind grasps onto the idea of a uh, three reps is nothing. Yeah. You know? Just so you do three more mm-hmm. and then you, in the, you make it, you make it a, a widow maker out of a set and you end sure. up doubling your reps just because someone's there pushing you. And literally, I mean, not only the reps doubled and the workloads doubled, but consider what's going in terms of the, you know, an effective reps type of scenario in terms of how many more effective reps you got. Whereas the last two or three of that set of 12, those are the effective ones, whereas all 15 of the last ones now are effective and maybe even too effective because after that, you're not doing anything for a week. So it is a matter of, and I've always said this, like the ideal training partner is someone, you know, as long as you don't end up doing too much, because I did this with Dave back when he were before DC training, we did volume training and I blew myself out of the water. You want someone who's going to make you into their bitch in the gym, like someone who just like they've got, they've got extreme pardon the pun, but the mental fortitude, <laughs> extreme drive, and they bring it out in you, the competitiveness, whatever it is, you know, it will make, make you go. And I remember once there was a, was, I, her name was Pat. I remember her last name. She's a trainer, a coach at, or at the Gold's Gym back in Tucson. I used to train at. She actually had won the Canadian Nationals in couples. Actually, they had couples bodybuilding back then. So she was a high level, national level, almost pro level female bodybuilder. And I showed her some pictures. So what do you think of my foot? Because you need more hamstrings. So she's like, I want to watch, see how you train. And I remember we went out to the gym and I was doing stiff legged deadlifts. And she said one thing to me, this was like, this was before I knew Dave even, I think this was like 18 years ago, maybe. And she said, show me what you're made of. <laughs> I'll never fucking forget that statement yeah. because yeah. I don't know how many more reps I did than I would have otherwise, but that just, just, it was as if I had been hypnotized and transformed into some supernatural creature because I show, I, that was like one of the craziest sets I've ever done. She's like, you need to keep doing that. And your hamstrings will grow. I'm like, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> you know? And so like those sorts of experiences will set a new bar, I think. And so I like to train with people, you know, who are, who will do that for me. So it's, I totally, I can't agree with Cornelius' statement anymore. You know, you, you got to, if you could get one of those opportunities to train with someone who will sort of reset your perspective. Which you know? is so interesting because yeah. that, and again, if that 
sort of goes back to like the start of the conversation, which is like the difference between like natural trainees and enhance is that like, um, and just as an FYI, I sent you guys a link in the uh, Instagram group message of me doing what I would call like a zero RIR set. So if you're just curious to see that. Okay. Um, I'm going to post it on my story. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's public, so it, it's, it's oh, okay. an Instagram yeah. post. Oh, gotcha. so, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, but just that like, and I know even Brad Schoenfeld disagrees with this and he's the one doing the studies, but I said to him, I was like, you know, so many of these guys, John Meadows, who he knows, and you know, some of these guys like Scott Stevenson, they will talk about like to and beyond failure training. You just don't see that a lot with these natural trainees who like, I really respect 3DMJ and, and I mean, almost none of the natural training coaches that I can think of Lane Nor and all these guys say to push beyond failure. It's almost always occasionally to failure, often one to two RIR and they'll cite the literature and all of that. But you guys, Meadows, DC, all of it. It's like, how go ahead. What's the name of that natural guy with the really big arms who always does the crazy workouts. It's just avoiding me at the moment. Um, There's one guy, I think he's up from your way and he competed even in the MPC and he's been around forever. Yeah. He's he's got got crazy deadlift. Yeah, yeah, he does like ten by ten with five hundred pound deadlift. Yes, um, um, he's, got, he's got a supplement arms. company. Yes, supplement company. It's I don't know. People always say he's not natural, but he's got a. Yeah, they, but he trains like Doug Miller. Off the chain. Doug Miller. Yes, Doug Miller. Yes, Doug. Yeah. Yeah, um, he, he's in that night. If you watch him train, he's. I mean, he's pushing to the absolute limit. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I have no idea if Doug's natural. Or not. I certainly understand why people question it. I have no idea. Um, but my, my point was just that I'm as a trend, you see it much more with enhanced lifters than the non-enhanced. And you guys will talk about the mentality that I kind of always had. It was like, you're talking about the harder you push, the bigger you're going to get. And I think that's kind of what a lot of people think. And it makes sense. I'm, I'm just, you know, playing devil's advocate for whatever reason, the research experience, a lot of the natural guys, Greg Knuckles, Eric Trexler, Eric, Eric Helms, Jeff Alberts, all of these guys, like none of them have that same mentality. And I just find that dichotomy okay. interesting. Well, let me, what let me I clarify. Think, Sorry, because you're speaking about me now specifically. Go ahead, Cornelius. Right. I was just going to say, we're not necessarily talking like training like that every single time. It's a way of getting your baseline level up. Yeah. So you go and you do this crazy workout and yeah, you're sore for 10 days. I mean, you're not going to do that every time. <laughs> but you have now an idea of, oh, I have like three more gears. So maybe in normal training, I'll take it up one gear. Not talking about life or death every single time. Yeah, 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 right. So, like, like John has challenge sets as part of mountain dog training. And those are the fun ones where you just kind of let loose, mm-hmm. you know. But John's very careful about limiting intensification techniques. It's he, it's very specific in the book. He's very, but of course, you go on Instagram, like, oh, here, here's my warm up sets. Hope you guys enjoyed that. See you <laughs> to the ne- wait to the next post. Yeah, like, right. You're not going to see those things. No one wants right. to see that. I'm super, you know this, I'm super particular about failure points mm-hmm. because, you know, the, the, the return on investment in doing those is exactly what Cornelius says. You're upping the bar. You're figuring out it's a way to monitor your progress because you did take a set to failure as best you can possibly muster that, but you can't get away with that. Muscle rounds are built around the idea of only right. one failure point. Right. You know, we didn't talk about the, you know, um, uh, how, how hard people train in general. We're kind of getting into this. So, I'm very particular, and that's why I have different volume tiers. It's all about adjusting. Right. I just have the sense, and this is this is me, is that, and this is where maybe I'm I'm different from what you hear Mike Isertel say. But I think when I've when I had a podcast that we 
was it Steve's podcast? I think we had kind of a quote unquote, yeah. we're on the same page is that the, the more advanced you get, the more you're going to have to up the ante and, and take those sets closer to failure. If you're going to create an effective stimulus, right? You're going to have to do that, but you can't, but the, the turn side of that is that once you've done that, then you're cut into your recovery, which is still going to be limited. And the more you can recover, the better you'll be able to stimulate and better be able to grow. So being able to recover is, is just as important as creating the stimulus and the two things go hand in hand. So I don't know like exactly how um, like Eric, for instance, talks about doing like drop sets and those sorts of things. But, but um, I don't, I wouldn't say that really, I guess the only thing that's sort of beyond failure, so to speak, in fortitude training are the pump sets, right? But you're not even like getting to where you can't hold the weight anymore. You just will extend that. Um, with pulses or what have you. Yeah, can, static holes. So, yeah, yeah. so time under tension or whatever vernacular you want to use to apply to it. But that in and of itself is also auto-regulated. So it's a function right. of the person. So it's not like this is what you have to do. It's like if this is something you can recover from and it's a greater stimulus, then that's good. The more stimulus you can recover from, the better. But if it's a stimulus you can't recover from, then don't do it. So you could do you could do pump sets where they're just straight sets until until you just can't get another rep on on a on a tempo and let leave it be if you if you if that's what works for you. So I'm not big on like you know ultimately I have to push as hard as you possibly can. So I think mm-hmm. sort of the, I can't remember exactly what you said there, but the way you you frame that to some degree is that um, like it's all about pushing as hard as you possibly can like all the time. And for me, it's like, no, finding the dose that's as potent as you possibly can and that you can also recover from. Yeah. And the fun stuff, the post or like, or the, you know, the, the really hard sets, but. Um, Maybe I misinterpreted. I just thought from the, yeah. the way you guys were saying it, that you were suggesting finding somebody to push you to the absolute hardest oh. is the key to growth. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Because I, I, I actually, I, that's a nice way to say it, but you have to be careful as I think I threw in before is that this happened with Dave, for instance. And so I'll, here's the story with Dave. I've, I've told this before, but when Dave and I first, we met in the gym, I think I asked to work in with him on something. We ended up training and uh, Dave was the pro. He was, he just gotten his card. And so I'm like, I'm going to follow him. He's doing the high volume thing. I've been doing basically, you know, as close to, actually I was I think I was doing sort of DC training. I'd come to those principles was doing that. Like I'm going to follow Dave, do Dave's thing. And Dave was stronger than me on most everything. So Dave would do, you know, 12 reps on something and, and he'd leave two or three reps in the tank. Whereas I could maybe get like eight or nine reps, you know, and t- if I didn't stop. So I would do like eight reps and I turn, I try to get 13 reps to beat his 12, mm-hmm. but I make that set into a Widowmaker right. and I, to get there. So I could beat him because I was competitive and I wanted to hang with him and use the same weights too. So I ended up doing like 20 sets, all of which were extended sort of beyond failure, discontinuous. I was a wreck, full body inflammation. <laughs> like everything was sore. The joints, literally I get done with the workout, my whole body would just ache. It was absolutely, it was bizarre. And I've seen this as one other person who pushes really hard too. It was like just your whole body is just like just one giant quote unquote ball of inflammation. Yeah. That was too much. Obviously right. I learned that. I learned that pretty well. So you want someone who will bring out the best in you. But that best, you know, can be excessive. Bodybuilders tend to do that in general. So you have to still have to be able to recover. You can't just, you know, train like an idiot and, you know, train as hard as possible, 
I mean, that would be wonderful. I could just do, you know, a hundred sets and they were all like drop sets, you know, right. but it all it has to be countered with proper recovery. And that's the thing that we're kind of like, you know, wondering is like, if, if there's more left there, let's say you do five sets on with, in your given training program and that's your, your standard dose, so to speak. And you go and find that, you know, oh my gosh, I have a whole nother gear I can tap into. You know, if I apply this visualization technique or I just train with someone, I can train and get a couple more reps on those sets I didn't know I was capable of. Well, now you may have to drop to four, four sets or just yeah. three or space the workouts out differently or adjust. But what I think you're getting there, and this is what, what I, you know, what I think is important for people who really want to try to get everything they can out of their progress is that it's those efforts and the intensity and, and, and the, the quality of the training that you could get from learning how to train harder with someone, which is going to be helped with growth more so than just simply adding volume, you know, adding together sets that are two or three reps shy of, of failure. Um, then that's Mike kind of uses that for, I think, but, it, but for intermediate, most of the people he's talking about are intermediates and that will work obviously. Yeah. But I think at some point in time, you have to start pushing harder and then adjust accordingly. So anyway, you had a big thought there. I well, think. I just, it's a, it's a topic. And again, I don't know if it's like my athletic background or what I just, I have always been a little confused by this lack of understanding of failure. And, and, and you, to everybody's point, when I go into a, a commercial gym, I definitely do not see people pushing like as hard as they could or going for Definitely not. But the conversation of like, oh, well, you know, like you tap into something and here's another three reps. Like when I think of the sets I do, especially if I, okay, so if I imagine like a leg press, certainly if you're talking about like a 20 rep set of a leg press, how many people are truly taking that to failure? Like probably not many, right? But for most sets, if I do 12 reps on incline bench, right? Like to me, it's like, okay, I'm going. And then I, I just cannot, like, there's no question. I, I could not possibly move this bar anymore. Even if you had a gun to my head, unless I arched like incredibly or made it like a rest pause, which obviously like a bench isn't a great example of that, but like, you know, something where you could kind of release the weight for a little bit. I mean, even if you guys watch the, uh, the set I sent you on Instagram, I, I call that a zero RIR, but that last uh, rep I did have to kind of go back a little bit to get it up. And like, could I have forced another rep? Yes, but I would consider that beyond failure. I would have really, you know, hiked it up. If I kept proper form, there's just no, you know, I've done thousands of sets. I, there's just no way the weight would have gone up anymore. And so I, I just, I, it's not that I'm saying either of you are wrong at all. I just, it makes me wonder when you say, oh, you know, what could be said to tap into this, extra three reps, at least from my perspective, the train I do, it just seems like I can't imagine where that would come from, but you know, I, I don't know if maybe we have to see each other train. Yeah. I don't know if I should watch this. I, I see the, yeah, if you guys down. want to take a second to watch it, just, um, I actually posted on something on this. Cause I had with my computer problems, I had a bunch of stuff I was trying to get up. I'm like, I want to post something on Instagram. So I pulled up an old video from around Christmas and it was just me doing a peck fly. Mm -hmm. on a it was actually I a loading set. that yeah. yeah it was the last thing i put up a couple of days but one of the things that i i make mention of in there and there's i can there's some follow-up posts i'll do to it is that if you look at how um if 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 the the psychological drive the central drive the activation is all there's nothing limiting there psychologically to our ability to push and the limitation in reps that you get is a muscular one 
then what you'll see is a gradual fatiguing um, phenomenon like you see with isolated muscle as yeah. it is stimulated. So it's going to, you know, force will, will slowly drop off and it'll just sort of gradually decay. It won't like, like just fall off a cliff and all of a sudden stop. And I think that's what you see sometimes with people when all of a sudden they like, this hurts too much or I'm done. Yeah. Or, or maybe, maybe they get scared or maybe they have another reason, like this doesn't feel right, I need to get out, stop this set and rack the bar or what have you. But you should see, and that's, and that's the basis of what a, a line of research that's coming about now is where they're looking at velocity of, of training as a way to, as, as a training parameter that can be used to monitor gains and progress for, for making training adjustments. So as, as you move through a set, and if you're just trying to maintain like a two up, two down tempo or whatever it may be, Eventually, when you get to those failure, those tough reps, you start to grind. Yeah. The velocity starts to slow down. That's exactly what you see in terms of force production. Actually, the a fatigue muscle is actually slower in terms of its contractile properties. And plus, because you have to push much harder, it becomes a higher level of your maximal effort. Now, if you think about how much force muscle can produce at different velocities, in order to produce that max, what is now a maximal effort or near maximal effort force in those last couple reps, Everything has to be slower. That's the force velocity curve of skeletal muscle. That's sort of the most basic property of how muscle produces force. Less force at faster velocities, more force at slower velocities. So you have to see this if it's just up to the muscle and what it's capable of doing, and you've got no central limitation in your brain or your, your psyche, then you're going to see some gradual slowing of the repetitions and the grinding reps will come out. And you can just see right. like, I can't imagine that person haven't done it anymore. You won't see all of a sudden, like the kind of set progresses and all of a sudden, like you've got the last rep looks just like the first one. Right. Um, oh, not yeah, that yeah. the general biomechanical form shouldn't be, but it's, but there should be some slowing there at least. And um, so that's, that's the thing that you don't see very often in people. And I guess not. Um, according to, I think you just watched, I don't know if Scott, you did. I, I'll pull up the fly video you did, but. I just want your arms are really good, Dave, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Let's see. So that that was rep eleven and twelve, I think. Of like, I, it's not the whole set. It's just like obviously the end there. So, but I mean, to me, I don't know if you have different thoughts, Cornelius. But that to me is like a yeah. failure set. You wouldn't have got another one. Say again. Yeah, Scott. You wouldn't have got it unless you like stood there and waited, like you know, widowmaker style, and waited right. for like fifty. You wouldn't have got another rep. I don't think. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's my thoughts. So. Yeah. I would say the only thing is the bar seems to be st you're you're leaning back into it, so you're cheating the reps, which is good. That's not the problem, but the bar is kind of moving at the same speed even on your last reps if you watched it. So perhaps if you were if you got yourself in a more strict position, you would see the bar really slow down as you were grinding it up. Right. That that that's about the only thing I could say. I mean, obviously it's a ton of effort. I don't doubt that for a second, but of course barbell curls compared to let's say a back squat it's totally totally it, or like actually, a leg press actually what i see maybe watch it again you'll probably see this you hitch like you get the bar actually stops right you, you throw a little hitch in there so you can finish the rep so you you cheat a little, which is not not criticizing but you actually do kind of come to a stand so there's a little point there mid mid motion right there. yeah yeah so yeah. yeah at any rate yeah you don't you don't see that very, very often no, so you don't, you don't see that often Right. So again, maybe that's just my biased perspective because if I'm doing it, I'm like, 
Well, aren't, wasn't everybody trained? But, you know, obviously they, not everybody they, trained. I, I owned a gym for eight years. It's like a hardcore bodybuilding, powerlifting gym. I can count on one hand how many people <laughs> I think train correctly. So Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah so, um, so there's room for lots of people, you know? Right. Um, and, and bicep curls are a different story than, like you said, leg presses. Like leg press would be have you. hack squat or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, there's room for lots of people to improve upon what they're actually doing with set by set. And so the, it's a funny thing. Like, that's a great example. Like, so how does your fatigue look on arms? That's why I think a lot of, a lot of you like to train arms. Yeah. Right. If I've got good arms, but they don't have good legs, right. legs are harder to train to where you're getting to where those effective reps are, are actually part of what you're doing in the gym. Cause you, people just don't want to push that hard. Right. Um, sure. So I'm not sure exactly how we got on this topic, but Oh, is the idea of like pushing, 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 pushing. So, I just see that like it's those high quality maximal all efforts. It's almost like if anything, maybe you've noticed and I try to overemphasize the importance of that because it's such an underdone phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It's like, right. It's, it's so like, you, you know, you don't, you, sure. you, you, you have to eat your veggies, your fruit and veggies to get your micronutrients. And like you have kids that just, they feed it to the dog and they throw it out the window. They never eat it. So the parent is like, you have to eat your vegetables. Yeah. Like we know this, you know, so you become then the parent who's like screaming about eating your vegetables and training hard and going all out because <laughs> but no one's listening to you. So you just scream louder. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's not really the message. The message is just have a nice, you know, mixed, you know, r- put some color on your plate and have, you know, have some fruits and vegetables with your food. It shouldn't yeah. be that tough, right? Just train to failure. That's but since no one's doing it really. <laughs> that, no, that's, that's a really great remark. And, and you're right. Yeah. The audience is so important because I say this, I've said this a few times. I talk about genetics all the time, but I wouldn't talk about genetics almost at all to general population because that's not what they need to focus on. It's like, dude, you guys aren't training hard. You're not eating right. Like, I'm not going to tell you about genetics because then you're going to use an excuse. I talk about genetics a lot because my audience are normally people who have been training for a long time, people who are often being sold the idea that they can be anything that they want in the bodybuilding world. They could be a pro, like, you know what I mean? And so it's like, well, hold on, let's step back. Genetics are actually a huge factor, but that's based on the audience I'm speaking to. It's not to give people an excuse. And if I was talking to Gen Pop, it would be a different message. So I think that's a great point. You know, it's a weird thing what you say there because there, there's not an explicit sales tactic, you know, to, to say, you know, that genetics don't matter. But it's, it's so interwoven into just the nature of the marketplace. You know, who are you going to pick to represent your supplement line? Yeah. Some average person, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, really, I would love to see someone do this where they say, you know, put their money where the mouth is, so to speak and say, this is average Joe, Joe, John Smith from, you know, middle of nowhere, Nevada. And he started our stuff. And this is what it looked kind of like they did with subway with, um, we got kind of got in trouble but with but the idea was like, this is a guy who just started eating our food and he lost, lost all this weight and he made it work. That is was that was really successful, I think, for quite a while, as opposed to you know, let's put um, like who's it? Is her name Jillian Michaels? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so like, imagine she's the subway salesperson. It's like, well, you look fit, and you've always looked fit, and like you're not going to get unfit. Like we know it's not going to happen. Right. So, but would still sell some subway sandwiches if they have the you know the the JM line of you know salads or something. They start selling there. Yeah. Well, it'd be funny if that actually came out. Like, you know, <laughs> heard this, but. Um, but they, that was a really smart marketing ploy to take the average person and demonstrate that our supplement line or our strategies work. But 
that just doesn't fit with what with it's not a shiny object. The shiny object is like the, the bad, most badass physiques that are out there. Instagram is full of shiny objects, sure. you know, and those sell product better, I think, generally speaking. So it's, it's subliminal and it's just so infused into the industry, at least in the States. This is what I was saying about with the UK is like, right. I don't name any names, but like I remember being at Body Power and there like lots of big names would go over there, like the biggest people in the sport. And um, there was still big line for them with some of those big names, but I remember talking to people and they were just laughing. It's like, like, why do you care what so-and-so pro bodybuilder has to say? I mean, like, you know, he's obviously got phenomenal genetics and he's just loaded up on gear. And like, he's, what's he going to tell me that I, that's going to help me. That's interesting. They, they thought of it in that very same way. It was just a more critical sort of logical, I think kind of intelligent consumer approach mm. that we don't necessarily have. And the other thing that happens too, I think is that, you don't even tend to think outside the box that you're in the longer you're in the box and the more people who are buying the, the message that the box is selling, which is essentially that, you know, if you have a top-notch Olympian who's your, who's your face person, that means you've got the, one of the best products. Right. Like the, the biggest companies can afford the biggest, most successful people. And that's like, it's like, it's, that's interwoven with it as well. It's like, well, they've got, you know, Bill, they've got a Mr. Olympia selling their product. That means they must have good stuff because they're making a lot of money because they have good products. Like, I don't know why. It's still Phil Heath, so I want to look like him. I'm going to buy it. Like, right, right. the thought process just gets stifled, and the shiny <laughs> object effect, you know, it tends to take hold, I think. so. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I really appreciate you taking this much time. I'll probably divide this one up into two. We went for a while there, so I do appreciate that. Um, where can people find more of your stuff? Yeah, uh, Instagram, CDCon, that's the easiest. Um, but Sportitude underscore training, Sportitude training. Just Google that and Scott Stevenson, everything, everything comes up. We can look out for the upcoming two-hour comprehensive DC review training video, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, I really I am. Mean, that that's totally, I would love for Dante to do that, you know? Yeah, but I don't. You know, I think that's totally his thing, man. You know, sure, sure. <laughs> um, I tell you, people can still go on to intense muscle, and he's and yeah. Dante posts on on uh, professional muscle. Mm-hmm. There's t- all the stuff's there. That's the thing with DC training too. Is like, I mean, it's not. It's older. These are older posts. notes. it's all there. You can yeah. figure that all out. Thousands of people have done that. There's really no need for that in a certain way. But like we were talking about before the show, you know, it's just like that's that's. Too much work, I guess, in a lot of I guess cases. So. Right. But I think the thing that people I wish people would realize is that, you know, this goes back to, you know, feeding someone fish or teaching them how to fish. It's like I can you can give, get all these tidbits by asking questions and getting immediate answers to the things that you want. But if you go and spend some time like learning how to de- like deciphering Dante's posts and coming up with some good questions, like so I set up my DC training plan. Remember how often people, this is my DC training plan. What do you think? Right. That was yeah. like the standard thing. That was so great. There's the puppy people pound, ripped them right? apart. Yeah. And the learning process was so good. And once they could do that, it's like people could even go like 10 years later and still like, I'm going to set up another DC training. Pro- took some time off, had a family, got married. The kids are now kind of, they're starting off with school. I want to start back to training. They can still make a DC training program because yeah. they figured it out on their own. They learn how to ride the bike. They just got to get back on it and learn how to ride. Whereas you keep on getting fed those little tidbits. You don't take the time to self-educate. And then you're left like kind of helpless, you know, in the box and the shiny objects are attacking, you know? Right, right. (laughs) Anyway. Awesome. Thanks again, guys. You're welcome. Bye. Adios. See you later, brother.